And welcome to For What It's Earth, the podcast where we look at all things nature, climate change, sustainability and ask, can we save the planet? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And I hope the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> I hope so too. Otherwise, this whole podcast is a little bit of a sham. That's two years all of our life down game. the pan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this week, we are talking about home gardening, veg growing, all that sort of green fingered stuff. Oh, I'm so excited to be talking about this. Yeah, um, so this is basically going to be Emma's Emma's show, because I don't know very much. <laughs> Even with my research, uh, it, it confuses me, and I want to learn more, and I figure why not let Emma t- t- take the wheel on this one, because she not, not only does she already grow her own stuff, her, her researching skills are better than mine. So... <laughs> Oh, well, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But I do have, I've got practical experience, which is always useful. Whereas like some of our topics, for yes. example, when we're talking about bogs, we don't have practical experience managing a bog. So it's no, always I've quite nice really to have a little, a, a little home experience. But yeah, so this, this is all about how to grow your own food, because there are, there are many good reasons why you should be growing your own food. So in particular, this episode is kind of going to focus on getting the most out of the space that you have in terms of your yield, because growing your own food is a potentially really great thing to do for the planet. But it's also going to be about how you do so in the best way that you can for the environment. But before we get too deep in, Lloyd, what one good thing have you done for the planet this week? Mm, we, We bought some bamboo toothbrushes. Nice. When you say we, do you mean you or do you mean your partner? I mean, my partner bought bamboo toothbrushes, but I benefit from said <laughs> environmental efforts and I fully support it. And yes, great. I mean, I, I much prefer using the electric toothbrush, but the thing is I'm really lazy and always forget to charge it. So I'm exactly the same. So yeah, we have a bamboo one ready to go. But do you know what's yeah. nice? At the end of the day or at the end of said bamboo toothbrush's life, you can pull out those bristles and then you can compost the handle. Oh no, that, yeah. Oh, didn't know that. There we are. Well, there we that, go. That all ties into the episode. That's right. We We're seasoned professionals now. Emma, what was your one good thing? <laughs> Mine is a repeat of one that I did recently. Um, I gave away some more onions. Nice. On the Olio app, which allows you to redistribute food waste or kind of prevent oh, yeah. food waste and share food with your community. Because I keep getting onions in my veg boxes and I can't eat them. So, so I don't have anything better than that, I'm afraid. I think that's very noble. Apart from perhaps the entire podcast that's about to follow, because I grow a lot of, I grow a chunk of my own food. And well, I mean, there there is that, but I mean, a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about, I do do or have done. So maybe they can all count as my collective one good thing. Yes, I'll I'll let you have it. So I mean, before we get on to the 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 hows of how you grow your own food, um, let's have a quick look at actually why we should grow your own food because this isn't traditionally a gardening podcast, is it? We do have to consider the environment. Um, So what I mean, why grow your own food? First of all, if it's in your garden or in your windowsill, those are the smallest transport miles you can possibly have for your food. Lovely. There's no packaging. It is intensely satisfying and a fantastic way for you to connect with nature and connect with the land and have a look at the way that you interact with food, which is really important. Because food waste, if if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases on the planet. So actually having a look at how we interact with food is really important. Fun little stat there, whip that one out. I, I always like that um, stats are very commonly phrased this way in this line of 
research because last time we were talking about pets, it was how what size the country would be if it was cats and dogs That's in terms true. of emissions. It must it must just be something that is really easy for almost everyone to kind of attach to and understand. It's very digestible. Yeah, so a third of all food produced across the globe is lost or wasted. And if you're looking at the UK specifically, 240,000 tonnes of food are wasted by the supermarkets alone every year. Which is crazy. So there's massive incentive to, to grow your own food. If you are growing your own food, it also makes you acutely aware of and used to eating seasonally and local and also eating wonky food. Because not everything you produce is going to look like you bought it at the farmer's market. And you, you kind of get used to what's growing when. And so then when you go to the supermarket and you see strawberries in December, that, that yeah. kind of clicks, doesn't it? That that has not been grown locally. So it's probably got massive transport miles. It's, it's so, so true about wonky veg. Unrealistic body standards for veg. I, lo- I love a good bit of wonky veg. I had some really funny shaped carrots last year and I look forward to the same again. Funny, just a bit, bit wacky or... I had one that looked like um, a pair of legs that had kind of got entwined. It looked like it that was crossing its legs because it needed a wee. That was my favourite carrot. Mm. Very elegant carrot. So we do actually have a, a fairly long history of growing our own fruit and veg in allotments, in small scale farming, because if you go back during the war, <laughs> 18% of the UK's fruit and veg was was grown in, in gardens and allotments alone, so not, not including farms. Mm. Whereas if you go to the years 2017, 2018, that was just 3%. However, this podcast, I think, is uh, capitalising on a wave of... <laughs> Because we're, we're, we're very good at, at reading the winds of change and we Absolutely. don't do things sincerely. It's f- simply for our own, you know. We've got finger on the pulse. Yeah, exactly. We've got finger on the pulse of the nation. Green, green fingers on the pulse. We're in the Royal Horticultural Society. They're saying a lot of their pages um, have seen a 500% increase in views mm. because they provide lots of information on how to grow your own stuff. There's been a 250% surge in seeds and compost sales during lockdown. Gosh. So people during lockdown especially have thought, I don't want to be inside any longer or I would quite like to get growing. I want to do something. So that's why we're here. Just lockdown ends. But more importantly, just as spring begins. The growing season is... It's just, upon us. Is, it is upon us. I'm, I'm very excited. But I mean, exa- exactly what you said there. I think the, the one of the things not to forget about the whole process of growing your own food is that it is so good for your mind and your your own connection with nature and your own happiness yeah. as, as much as putting food on the plate that hasn't come from Tesco's, which is brilliant. Yeah, so now is the kind of time where you really need to get planning. Planning is key to maximising your yield. Because, of course, I'm going to talk about maximising yield quite a lot in this podcast, but we're going to do this in ways that are not detrimental to the and environment. And that's how you know Emma does this on the regular, because she can use words like yield. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to hold something up to to show Lloyd, and maybe I'll take a picture. These are this is this is my um, garden plan in my oh, in my notebook. I've drawn out all of my raised beds and all my little pots and all of the kind of basically all of the different areas where I could potentially grow some stuff. And it's really important to know what it is you want to grow, how much space each of those things need, and what those yeah. requirements have, because. Some plants will love shade. Some plants will be completely not shade tolerant at all and need full sunlight. So before you even think about growing any of your little seedlings, have a look at your garden or your space, depending on what size you've got, and see how many kind of hours of sunshine you get. Because you'll get the best from your plants if you put them in the environment that they love the best, which is a fairly simple concept, I think. 
<laughs> it's also, I mean, I, I'm lucky to have a to have a small garden of which my partner has very kindly let me mostly turn into an allotment. Um, we do have a patch that is a kind of recreational picnic space, but quite a lot of quite a lot of the rest of it is given. I thought you, you were just going to say recreational space. I could just imagine the two of you just throwing a little ball. <laughs> it wouldn't go very corner, far, would it? <laughs> surrounded by carrots. Ah, <laughs> oh, the dream. Um, <laughs> But um, so so I'm very much coming from the mindset of a very small space gardener and trying to get the most out of that space. But you don't even need to have a garden. You can have a courtyard if you've got a little courtyard. Um, you can make the most of space by using planters and vertical growing techniques. So if you've got pots mm. or planters, you can grow things up canes uh, like beans and peas and even some squash will climb. Uh, you can also have hanging baskets which are wonderful for strawberries and are very good at keeping slugs and things away from them some tomatoes will grow down from hanging baskets and also tomatoes are obviously wonderful in pots um, so there is still an awful lot you can do even if you don't have kind of physical soil that you can dig into and, and even window boxes as well you can grow a whole array of your own kind of herbs salad leaves you could pop some tomatoes in some strawberries some beetroot there's still quite a lot that you can do even if you're in a flat or yeah absolutely somewhere that is outside disadvantaged yeah absolutely you know kitchen windowsill get your herbs in there's something so satisfying about having grown your own salad leaves lovely so do you do you grow fruit as well Oh, that's exciting. Yes. Uh, most of this will be vegetable related because last year I only did vegetables. But no, this year I've got some I've got some raspberry canes. I've got a gooseberry bush. I've got a blueberry bush um, and a blackcurrant bush. They're all in their very Weird. tiny, like I bought them all as like very small seedlings or as canes. So they're not necessarily going to flourish into massive yields this year. But I'm thinking uh, kind of long term. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully I will have some some fruit. I've, oh, I've heard fruit is easier to grow and and start the process of than vegetables. Really? Is that true? Do you know that? Um, having only really grown vegetables previously, I don't know about the starting we'll, of them. We'll, we'll have the answer for that next year. Yeah, in next year's podcast. Well, because I'm because I'm the fruit that I'm growing, I'm getting as as a tiny bush. I, I'm not growing yeah. it from seed, so I can't. I don't know how how easy it is to grow a fruit from seed. Unless we're talking about tomatoes, which are notoriously actually a fruit, in which case tomatoes are incredibly easy to grow from seed <laughs> and very prolific. But no, I, I don't know. That's a very good question. Very good question. Mm, thank you. I just wish um, I had done my research and knew the answer before I asked the question. <laughs> and I wish I had a better answer for you. But there we are. <laughs> so Emma, I've got my notes that you wanted to talk about combination growing. <gasps> So this, I mean, this. What? What is it? Explain. I don't understand. Okay, you're going to have combining to, what? You're going to have to reel me in with my excitement. So combination growing is basically pairing certain crops to either maximise the use of the space or the timings of the crops so when they actually flourish, or actually to reduce pests, which can then reduce your yield. So you've got same space combination growing, which is things like so. For example, if you grow sweet corn, sweet corn grows quite sturdy, upright. But you could also grow beans in exactly the same plot and the beans will use the sweet corn as the trellis to grow up. And then you've got two oh, things stop. in the same. And it's wonderful because the beans and the peas, for example, are nitrogen fixers in the soil. So they will improve the soil for the sweet, sweet corn to use. Nice, nice. So if you, if you, can be quite, you can be quite clever about these things, which is really exciting. And you kind of get like a, a double crop for, uh, for your space, which is nice. And like if you've got vertical plants like peas and beans growing upwards you're not using the floor space so you could be growing small things like beetroot underneath it or actually a trailing squash which exclusively just kind of rambles all over the ground and doesn't grow up very cool using nature's teamwork yeah exactly like out in the wild obviously we're cultivating things 
in a kind of way that we're conditioned to farm in like strict lines of monocultures. Yeah. But actually out in the wild, all of these things would flourish, you know, near and around each other. Together, yeah. You know, biodiversity is so vitally important to everything we do and bringing biodiversity into your garden is only going to increase your happiness and your yield. Two things which for me (laughs) clearly are very intertwined. There you go. You can increase your happiness and your yield, everybody. So, I mean, at this time of year... Um, we are we're recording this in the last week of March. It'll come out kind of first week of April time. A lot of people have either started sowing seeds or are about to sow seeds, depending on what it is you're planting. For example, tomatoes you can be planting right now on your windowsills because a lot of plants, a lot of the things that we grow don't like to be started outside or can't be started outside because it's too cold until at least a month or six weeks time. So you can get ahead of the game and start growing them inside And then by the time they're kind of big enough, you can start putting them outside for a little bit each day to kind of harden them off, get them used to the cold, so that by the time they will thrive outside, you've already got a really big flourishing plant and then your cropping season comes sooner. So Is that what you're doing? Absolutely. I've got some tomato seedlings within a a reach of of my microphone. So something that a lot of people are doing right now is actually have a look in your recycling bin because a lot of the vessels, the plastic vessels that you maybe would be throwing away, can actually become perfect planters. Yeah, Emma showed me very excitedly, and rightly so, her old, an old mushroom plastic container. Yeah, because sometimes I still shop in Tesco's. now got some tomato <laughs> seeds. Yeah, so A, you don't have to buy more plastic containers from the garden centres. You can reuse something that you would otherwise be getting rid of anyway. Yeah, yoghurt pots and milk cartons and things also work really well. Even Tetra Pak, uh, you know, like soy milk cartons i mm. used last year quite a lot oh nice one i i, I quite like the um parallels between our pets episode last week where i was talking about caring for the animals and this week you're talking about caring for the plants oh like, yes we've done a swap take them outside every day we've both got our specialist right subjects yeah no you do Beautiful. and weirdly you really get to know the personalities of different plants as well but this is <laughs> this is all about connecting with nature and understanding the land and and how things yeah. interact but i definitely had like a, a cantankerous squash plant last year which was refusing to fruit and i'll be doing it a cantankerous squash plant. i stand by what i said yes <laughs> it was a grumpy <laughs> grumpy squash plant um but yeah but i mean okay one key way to try and make sure that your plants aren't cantankerous is to really take care of your soil Yes. And how do we do that? Well, for a start, while we're on the subject of soil, let's tie this back into our our bogs episode, because it's all connected. The threads of connection are weaving their way through the episodes. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful... Just just imagine all of our podcasts as as a really interconnected network, much like the root soil and mycorrhizal network that's going on. Oh, I like it. Yeah, you can literally chop 10 minute segments out of each episode push them together and they'd probably make a coherent episode they might do yeah. maybe one day i'll try that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway the point i was i was going to um very ham-fistedly make was in our bogs episode we very much advised against buying soil that was using peat from bogs Compost. and peatlands yeah absolutely yes. do not buy peat compost and most compost because everybody's going mad for it at the moment and the the garden centers are just selling out of compost obviously comes in plastic bags and it's come from goodness knows where and most of it's it's you know it's not got things in like earthworms that you need and love but it's got a lot of organic material which is and nutrients which is really essential for the growing of your plants so layer on a thick layer of compost 
uh, before you start planting things. Um, but yeah, don't definitely do not buy compost that's got peat in it because that contributes to a massive, massive degradation of a very carbon capture landscape. Go back and listen mm. to Boggs. Another episode yeah, where I got incredibly excited, actually, that one. Yeah, we're both weirdly excited about that. So I'm still yeah. very keen to go and visit a bog this year. Very keen. Yeah. Okay, so assuming our lovely listeners don't buy peatland-sourced compost and soil, how should they take care of said soil once they have it in their lovely possession? <laughs> okay, so number one, you can make your own compost. So your compost then doesn't mm. have a kind of a, a transport footprint. If you've got space to have a compost bin, um, sometimes you, you can get kind of plain black plastic ones that keep everything very neat and tidy um, and they the benefit of having a black plastic one is that it heats it up and helps to kind of encourage the organic matter decomposition process um, but it basically means that whenever you have anything left over from your plants so for example if you've run out of like your pea plants have stopped cropping um, you cut the plant at the bottom leave the roots in the soil that's really important leave if you leave all roots in the soil then they just contribute to all the organic matter and all the happy microbes and things in there um, and then you leave the top part of it in your compost bin and then that will become compost when you add in other things like your vegetable scraps your coffee grounds kind of fruit peels fruit like apple cores you leave that over the winter and then by the spring you've you've got some lovely compost but it's important to note that it's not just you need to get your compost mix right so it mm -hmm. can't just all be green leaves and fruit scraps and coffee grounds and things like that. That was kind of called the green ingredients to compost, but then you also need brown ingredients, which is not dog poo, as we found out last week. <laughs> <laughs> it's things like cardboard or dead leaves and, and things that aren't quite so high in nitrogen so that you end up with a really good mix of carbon and nitrogen in what is biodegraded into mm. your compost. And speaking as a novice, you're obviously not supposed to plant your seeds directly in the compost the compost is to supplement the soil right yeah it does so a lot of people well i start my seeds in compost um all my little seedlings oh i see um and you can okay. get potting compost as well which is like supposed to be even better for seedlings but i just use multi-purpose compost but I, I actually use a method called the no dig method in my garden so a lot of people or historically would have once you put a layer of compost on your raised beds or in your allotment uh, you then kind of get in it with a spade and you turn it all over and you mulch it all into the soil to kind of combine it but actually what that does is disturb a lot of the microbes that are going on and all of the processes that are very happy. It can actually not be as beneficial to soil and you can end up kind of really quite compacting the soil in some places. And when soil is compacted, it will sometimes release kind of alcoholic juices, which slugs love. So you can kind of accidentally attract one of the biggest problems to a kind of cropping vegetable patch. So what I do is, um, yeah, it's a no-dig method. So every year... I will leave all roots in the soil and then once the beds are clear, I'll pop a layer of compost on and then I'll cover up the beds with cardboard over winter, which just stops weeds and things growing. It, it basically allows the worms to come up and drag the compost in and, and do it all in a much more natural way because naturally leaves and things would just fall on the ground and then they'd get pulled in yeah. by the worms. So you're kind of going back to nature. God, you, you've been busy just really love it put that. <laughs> yeah that's fantastic but yeah so so look after your compost and look after your soil and they will look after your food and you started to allude there to things you don't actually want in your soil yes let's talk pests and around your garden so what are the pests to look out for how do you stop them what do we do how do we avoid it number one underlined and highlighted 
do not use pesticides and insecticides no. to try and improve your crops because all you're doing is just you're murdering biodiversity aren't you it's because it, it's tough because a lot of your plants will be reliant on insect pollination so chucking on some insecticides to try and get rid of one specific species particularly maybe like aphids or something means you'll end up killing off all of your wonderful caterpillars butterflies bees and, and everything else that you actually need mm. and you want in your thriving garden one, because they're awesome. Two, because they're in decline anyway and we really need them. And B, because they will actually fertilise your crops. So do not be buying pesticides. But, you know, we've we've harked back to that on several episodes before, haven't we? So instead, yep. there are some quite cool things that you can do. Now, I have a massive problem with slugs and snails because I've got quite a damp garden. So, for example, you can put coffee grounds around the edges of your raised beds. They don't particularly like coffee grounds. You can crush up eggshells, kind of so they end up like a texture like sand because it's very uncomfortable for their little little mollusky feet to try and get over. In the same way, you can use actual sand if you if you have yeah, sand. Yeah, yeah. I, I am by the beach. Maybe I'll just yeah, go. you can do that. We'll do a swap. I'll do send you, you some tomato plants and you can send me some sand. I'll just send you a bag of sand. <laughs> that would be great. There's none of that in Bath. It's all clay. Um, and some people, so for example, it, we mentioned you could potentially grow tomatoes in pots in your courtyard. Some people will PVA around the top of a pot and then sprinkle sand on. So you've got this permanent kind of sandpapery um, okay. layer around a pot, which is, um, again, quite off-putting to slugs and snails. They also don't like copper wire or copper tape. So last year I just covered everything in copper in my garden, uh, which was quite sparkly. And did it work? I think to some extent it worked. I think okay. I think that the eggshells possibly were the best thing, but uh, I don't know. I, I basically tried to do absolutely everything I could. One thing yeah. I would like to do, can't do it in this house here, but actually get chickens. Chickens are really good at just plucking around and getting rid of um, lots of little things like baby slugs and snails. Um, and hedgehogs as well are good for eating slugs. Oh, nice. So you can kind of utilise that natural relationship if you've got so a lot of space. presumably your chickens will go in your recreational space. yeah. That will become yeah. the egg, the organic egg-laying space. So then your recreational space is going to have to be the living room? Yeah, I think we're going to have to hang out inside the mm. house. Yeah. Um, so no, we won't be getting it's chickens. chicken's world now. <laughs> um, and a lot of people have problems with birds. So birds are another big pest. You can hang CDs on a string if anyone still has any CDs these days. The kind of the flickering motion of the light sometimes freaks birds out, so you don't do that. And apparently also hanging um, plastic bottles up so they're kind of moving around or using a scarecrow. It's quite simple and works. Yeah. And birds also really love berries. So I'm going to get some netting this year to try and cover up my raspberries to stop them being eaten oh, okay. by birds. Yeah. So that's a natural or quite an easy method to use. Mm. I had a massive problem actually last year with cats. Not the pest you expect. The movie. It was terrible, wasn't it? Was it was absolutely awful. James Corden, what are you doing? Stick to We, we put it on for 10 minutes. No, not even that. We we put it on because we were like, oh, go on. It, it, everyone's saying it's bad, but let's put it on to just like revel in how bad it's going to be. Mm. It was. It wasn't even enjoyable bad. We had it on for five, <laughs> five minutes max. I don't think we got through the first song. And we're just like, no, I can't do this. I actually didn't, didn't, even, didn't even try and watch it, if I'm totally honest with you. Mm. Am I right in assuming you weren't actually talking about the movie? You're correct. Um, yeah. There was no theatre out in my garden. Only the entire neighbourhood of cats who've decided that my lovely raised beds with their open spaces of soil oh, made good yeah. litter trays. And um, I had so much cat poo in my garden constantly. And it was yep. just the most irritating, angry thing. So 
if you're dealing with things like that, actually, one of the weird things that did work was plastic bottles filled with water, just like all over the garden. Obviously, it looks horrendous. Um, but if you've got any in your recycling bin, for some reason, it does seem to deter cats from pooing. Um, or you okay. can leave things like brambles, um, anything slightly spiky or slightly sticky that they wouldn't actually want to sit on. Yes. Prevents yeah. them from pooping. So that's a, that's a fun fact that I wasn't imagining that uh, I was going to learn last year. But But there we go. That's a real pain. I mean, you can get those uh, noise thingies, can't you, which emit like a high-pitched noise, which is supposed to scare them away. Yeah, I've, I've heard of those. I haven't tried them. And I've also been given some, um, some a product which I haven't fully researched yet and I haven't actually deployed, but apparently contains <laughs> lion piss. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lion piss? Yeah, because the, the, the kind of hormones and pheromones that come out of the, the alpha giant cat that is the lion will apparently um, ward off the average domestic cat from being in your garden so i will how do they get it i don't know it's the magic of the internet lloyd it's the magic of the internet i don't know if this is a a kind of a side business from the zoos or something that 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 could be any any animals you're in though couldn't it oh yeah maybe but yeah that's it turns out it's a red panda (laughs) could be could be um and then finally our old friend companion planting can be really useful so for example, if you nice. grow rows of onions around salads or peas, they create a smelly barrier for snails, which don't like onions, and around carrots mm-hmm. and things. Um, if you plant nasturtium next to cabbage, it will distract white butterfly caterpillars. So you're basically planting a sacrifice crop to save your cabbage. Um, and oh, This is so clever. It's, it's cool, isn't it. it? It's cool. All of this knowledge. It's like a video game. We used to have in our generations, and we've just, we don't, we, I kind of feel like a lot of it's been lost. I was never, yeah. I kind of wish that we were in this being taught by parents and grandparents but it's all on the internet so you can learn and um basil basil next to tomatoes because aphids apparently hate basil and love tomatoes so this kind of trickery rather than using pesticides is quite sneaky makes you feel like you really makes you feel like you're winning winning with nature but also against nature that's my contribution to the episode a very poorly worded Maybe I should do a spin-off Attempted podcast, a Gardening with Emma, like a, a, a monthly update on uh, yep. what's going on. I reckon we could get a better title, though. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll leave you on the marketing, mm. and I'll do the content. Emma's earth earnings. Hmm. High yield. <laughs> there we go, listeners. If you can do better than Lloyd, and I'm quite certain that you can, let us know what my... Um... <laughs> there's there's got to be a pun. There's got to be alliteration here. Should we, I mean, should we move on? Should we talk about water use? Let's give... Uh, yes. All of our crops are going to be thirsty, just like we are in the summer, but we've obviously touched on before. <laughs> water scarcity is a massive issue. We're not going to give you water scarcity facts because we've got an entire episode on how bad water scarcity is. So... We do, yeah. Gosh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. I, I forget how long we've been doing this now. Two years, mate. Two years. Two years. This is episode it? 52, maybe? Oh. Crumbs. Oh, yeah. But anyway, water use... This is not helpful to the conversation at all, but I am sorry to say that I somehow always overwater or underwater my houseplants. I can never hit the sweet you spot. You know, I'm terrible with houseplants as well. Yeah, I can never quite... Oh, good. I've still okay. got, actually, it hasn't died yet. You gave me a um, spider plant a while ago, one of your kind of offshoots. Oh, yeah. That's still alive by some miracle. Is it flourishing or is it just kind of like limping on? Um, one is flourishing. One, I have to admit, is on the limpy side. Oh, cool. No, so we'll fine. take that as a one and a half. Yeah, <laughs> about seventy-five <75%. laughs> percent. Um, so in the back, back in the garden. Yeah, which is the point of the episode. Yeah, 
get a rain butt is like the easiest and quickest thing. It collects rainwater from your roof and then you've got a constant supply of rainwater in your rain butt, provided we don't have a drought over the summer. Yeah. And if you're doing if you're doing your washing up, you know there's always that period of time where you're waiting for the hot tap to get hot? Stick your watering can under it. So it's not going down the drain. Yeah. Fill up the watering can and then when it's hot enough you just put it yeah. in and do your washing up. So like I was just saying then in my attempts to derail the conversation about how bad I am at watering house plants, <laughs> is there a sweet spot for watering outdoor plants for example in a dry spell oh yeah so like, do, do you have an idea of how wet your soil should be um i don't i you're doing a weird little shoulder I, dance oh, i'm just why. so excited because i've got some actually useful <laughs> tips oh great okay um so i mean last summer was really really hot so this was something that i did quite a lot of thinking about so no i don't necessarily know um how you tell if your soil is wet enough i think you just stick your finger in about an inch and kind of you can you can get a gauge for the top layer of the soil um mm. but there are ways to maximize the usefulness of the water that you're putting in so if you're going to do your watering once a day you need to do it right at the beginning of the day because it's cooler yeah. you're going to lose less to evaporation so it, it, more of it will end up actually in the soil being useful um and you could argue that you could do that at the end of the day as well but the problem with doing it at the end of the day is you've got soggy soil mm. and general damp moisture for the slugs when the slugs come out so you're going to create an even more inviting habitat for pests. So first thing in the morning okay. is great. There's also something that I tried last year was, so this is like a weird form of like companion planting. If you're about to pot out your tomato plant, for example, you've grown it on in your greenhouse or in your lounge and it's ready to go in the soil, bury it with a plastic bottle or like a Tetra Pak bottle like next to the roots, but puncture holes in the Tetra Pak or in the plastic bo- bottle and bury that bottle so that just the top end is poking out of the soil. That way, instead of watering the plant on the ground, you can pour water in the bottle and it directly trickles it into the deep roots. I like it a lot. How efficient is that? It does make your garden look a bit weird because you get these kind of little, like the tops of an orange juice <laughs> just, just popping out of the soil. Oh, my soy milk crop's nearly done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it's a really neat way of being a little bit more like water efficient. Um, and some people will use grey water as well to water things like wildflowers, but I wouldn't put grey water. So that's stuff from like your showers um, yeah. on your, your edibles necessarily. Yes, probably not a good idea. So you, I know you have set up badger cams, for example, do you, and you get visitors in your garden quite often from various local... Animals, well, cats notwithstanding. Mostly cats. No, the badgers actually isn't in my garden because I have a tiny garden in a terraced road. So badgers in the no woods. Badgers. badgers are in the woods. But imagine badgers yep. in the garden would be great, apart from the fact they do like to snuffle in and would probably actually maybe cause some damage to my vegetables. So perhaps it's best that they're not. But yeah, if we can <laughs> throw it back indeed to some more of our previous episodes, we've talked about the importance of supporting biodiversity and nature in your own green space. So I've tried really hard to make my garden really friendly for pollinators. We've got lots of wildflowers that are just starting to come up. We've got a massive honeysuckle, which the bees absolutely love. I've got a, uh, a bird box. I've got a bird table with some bird seed and some bird feeders and things. Um, but it's really important to leave parts of your garden wild so that that yes, mm. you want it to be productive for you, but it also really has to be productive for, for nature as well. Because if you're not thinking about the ecosystem as a whole, you're not supporting nature, you're not supporting biodiversity, you're not actually doing the planet any good, apart from... That's a really lovely yeah. point. I've got a nice image in my head of just you walking through your garden like Snow White. <laughs> Surrounded by <Just> seven dwarfs. 
I, I was talking more about the animals, like oh, the, just... the squirrels and birds landing on your head and stuff. Gently talking to birds, yeah. But yeah, I mean, one thing that I don't have space for, which would be nice, is to create a little pond. That's a really fantastic thing if you do have space to be able to provide a habitat for um, amphibians and things. And it's and it's really simple. You You could literally just basically sink a massive plastic box or Tupperware into the ground fill it up and put some pond plants in and that would be great for wildlife it doesn't even have to be a, a mega pond um, and also frogs eat slugs and things as well so another lovely form of uh, pest control so many circles of life it's beautiful intersecting in your garden excellent sorry Lloyd next week we'll do a topic when, when you, you know a bit about... more about no no I should have done more research but I was just quite content to in, listen in to your, your talk defense, because I did tell you it's... don't worry I've, I've got far too many notes. Well, it's, it's just nice to... It's actually really nice just to sit back and, and listen to someone talk about something they know about. I don't know about, fully know about, but something that I certainly enjoy. Oh, you do. Passionate about as well. Yeah. Great. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So next on the agenda of, of our beautiful list you provided, because uh, I am very much in awe of how much you know about all this and your passion listen, for... Listen, I really needed structure or this would have been a total ramble train. No, it's beautiful. I, I, this is one of my most enjoyable podcasts. Maybe Ramble Train to... will be the name of my gardening spin-off show. Ramble Train, <laughs> yeah. So we have written seed saving and big agri- agriculture. In in bold, yeah. So so in imagine we've gone, we've gone full circle. We're in the autumn now. You've had your gluts of all of your food. Uh, you've harvested everything. You've, you know, you're now at the stage where you're doing things like... The birds like, are flying away. Yeah, everything's getting quiet. <laughs> Um, but you, you know, you're making things like jam and chutney. You're drying out your food, um, basically everything to preserve your your crops. And you're thinking, you know, what do I do next year? And the easy option here is just to chop all your plants down, put all the green stuff in your compost bin. Obviously, leave the roots in the soil, cover up the beds with cardboard, stop them weeding, and think, right, okay, next year I'm going to buy X, Y, Z seeds from the garden centre or online or something. <laughs> and yes, technically that works, but a lot of people are more excited about the idea of saving their own seeds. So the nice thing about seed saving is you get to grow plants which are basically the babies of the plants that you've gotten to know and understand and like the varieties of this year, which is really exciting. So it will save you a little bit of money. I mean, seeds aren't massively expensive, but you can, for example, you can preserve heritage varieties that have been you know, lost and you can um, mm. make sure that you're looking after your genetic diversity and you can breed your own preferred characteristics if you really want to get into the crazy world of crossbreeding plants, which I, full disclosure, don't know much about and won't be trying That'll to do. That'll be another podcast episode. <laughs> but it, um, it basically, it, it will decrease your reliance on uh, a shifty underground world known as big ag, big agriculture. Big ag. So, we, you know, we've talked a little bit before about, you know, big pharma and all of the problems that go go around with the big pharmaceutical companies. But actually, a lot of seed companies are part of big pharmaceutical companies. They're one and the same, because if you think about it, they are the ones supplying genetically modified crops to provide better yields. And they're the ones also supplying pesticides. They all go hand in hand. And there's an awful lot of money in these massive corporations that in much the same way there's a there's a very there's a dominance on pharmaceuticals and drugs there's actually a huge um kind of dominance when it comes to seeds and there's so much money in it and there's so much power in it you know you'll get um like the intellectual property 
um, around kind of creating new seeds will almost start wars between countries who are desperate to become the biggest player in, I don't know, creating the best wheat crop or something, because we're all desperately mm. trying to work out how on earth do we feed the world with the population that is is boost is that is expanding at the rate that it is. It's actually... I, mean, I should remember some weird cases in the States, for example, where um, a, partic- a particular company, uh, which is particularly well known for, for stuff like this, mm. genetically engineered certain seeds. And when this crop um, came to fruition and... Uh, Are you talking about when the Chinese you, 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 came you, over and stole plants? What? No. Oh, well, yeah, so... I, I was going to say when uh, there were some instances of these genetically modifying crops seeding these crops in for example like next door farmers field who didn't buy these seeds Mm. and then this company would try to sue those farmers for growing those crops Mm. because they had patented this particular genetic variety so it's it bizarre yeah it's crazy i mean that's that's exactly like a, a really good example of the kind of the nastiness that can come from that um industry yeah but you were talking about so i i was listening i was listening to a podcast about this the other day but this this is exactly what it is um um you know growers in america who had created a certain type of rice and a certain type of wheat um a a chinese company sponsored by the chinese government came over under the guise of you know we're, we're attending an agriculture conference and um a couple of their top executives were found digging away in some fields in iowa trying to basically take seedlings from one of these new, one of the fields where they were growing an experimental type of newly genetically modified crops. Um, but, you know, because there is so much money in being the best cropper, I suppose. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's really, it's, it's interesting to think about. But I mean, if we took this back to our back gardens. Oh yes, sorry. For example, I imagine, because we were talking about preserving seeds for the, for the following mm. year. Well, I know that there are seed swaps, for example. They they pop up on Facebook quite regularly. I, I, I imagine much less now during Ooh, well, cur- cur- current Not clients. necessarily, because I'm part of the Bristol seed swap and they did it all by post this year, which is wonderful. Oh, so wow. you send them okay. your seeds along with a list that you are able to give to other people, along with a list of the seeds that you would like back in return, and you just do it by post with self-addressed envelopes and stamped envelopes. That's amazing. Lovely, really nice. But this is but this is brilliant. So this means that if everybody is growing and saving their own seeds, you're preserving genetic diversity rather than everyone buying these um, exact seeds from Sutton's or wherever everyone gets their seeds from. So yeah, we need more biodiversity in the things that we're growing, which is great. So I imagine there are nationwide groups then if if people are able to do this by post anyway possibly yes I mean, i'm just doing a quick little facebook search and it does seem like there are like dedicated groups for this nationally that will swap seeds that's really interesting and it's, mm. it's just really lovely as well it's nice to be part of that community um and you might stumble across a really cool heritage variety of something that you've not used before and um a lot of these growers will will know their plants inside out and, and the we have to predict the characteristics and things but if you are going to save your own seeds it's really important to do your research as to which seeds are easy to save and won't cross with other varieties so for example tomatoes won't cross they tend to self-fertilize with inside the flower so if you save a tomato from your tomato plant the same thing will grow next year same thing with same thing with like french beans they will self-pollinate before the flowers even open so all you need to do is leave some of the french beans on the plant until they're kind of old and they start to dry out and once they're dried you can save the seeds 
and, and peas as well are really easy because they all self-pollinate. But if you've got things like brassicas, like sprouting broccoli or cabbage or cauliflower or kale, they will all cross with each other. So you don't always 100% know what you're going to get in the next generation that you sow next year. Yeah. So if you're going to participate in these seed swaps, make sure you know what seeds you're contributing as well because yeah. everybody wants to know exactly what they're going to get out of it. So do, do some research, do some Googling. But in general, even if you're just saving them for yourself, um, you know, it's, it's really if we were to take this to to an extreme level did you ever see the seed banks that exist in i think it's like norway oh yeah these are These really ones that are pretty much buried into a mountain in a glacier somewhere yeah yeah to to preserve seeds should uh the worst happen and should the apocalypse you know, come and we need to yeah repopulate or, or just the seeds. they or, or just that certain plants, for example, die off in, in smaller numbers, then we've got the seeds backed up. I think it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Again, trying to preserve genetic diversity and not end up in a horribly strange... Try writing to them for a seed swap. <gasps> Could you imagine? <laughs> I'd end up with all sorts of weird things. Yes, yeah, so I'd like a the, the prehistoric variety, please, that you've <laughs> found in your digging in Siberia. <laughs> like a very shade-tolerant squash, if possible. <laughs> yeah. So, um... That, I mean, that I think is, I mean, there is so much more I could have crumbed into this episode and I've really had to try and condense things that I think will hopefully be useful to people that are at the beginning of their journey of growing stuff. So anyone that is already a proficient grower, apologies because I probably haven't gone into nearly as interesting depth as you might like, but anyone who like me is just a couple of years in or is about to start growing stuff, really hope that this has been useful. But I would very much like to recommend what has become my Bible. And that is a book called Practical Self-Sufficiency by Dick and James Strawbridge. And it is not just in, I mean, it's, it's, it's got some depth into growing plants and things, but it is also all about just becoming more self-sufficient in all other areas of life in your home as well. So that's kind of what got me started. And um, if you're interested at all in just trying to become a bit more self-sufficient, that book is amazing. Fabulous. I'm going to look into that. I haven't heard of that one before. It's got lots of fun pictures and diagrams in, so it's not it's not a really uh, monstrous ah, read. It's not an encyclopedia. Short attention span, like myself. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really accessible. It's really accessible. <laughs> Beautiful. I think we have covered a hell of a lot. Well, you've covered a hell of a lot. I did my best to derail the conversation. You've absorbed a hell um, of a lot. I reckon you've learned uh, learned some fun things. I have. I honestly have. It's fantastic, and I can't wait to ham-fistedly put it into practice. <laughs> I'll send you some seeds. Oh, shout out actually to Pamela who sent me some seeds as a listener last year. I'm, I'm reusing some of the things that I grew from her seeds from last year. Oh, that's very Legend. cool. Legend. Thanks, Pamela. Beautiful. Okay, uh, we will end it there. Thank you so much for listening for another week. Send me this your gardening is... tips. Desperate yes, for them. Se- Love them. Se- send your tips. Send pictures, pictures. of your attempts. Yeah. Um, any questions you've got I will Forward read them, them and I'll me. pass them straight to Emma I will try and answer them <laughs> uh, if you've got any tips for keep, keeping uh, cats from pooing in flower beds oh god yeah send those tips 100% and I'll let you know how yep. the lion stuff goes and if you know anything about lion urine please get in touch that would be wonderful I would look forward to that and strange email you can send all of these to our Facebook Twitter Instagram email I think those are all the platforms we're on yes we're not on TikTok just yet nor are we intending to be. Well, I don't know. It's where the kids are. And as always, all of the views and things that we've expressed in this podcast, they're all our own. They're nothing to do with anyone that we work for or are affiliated with. So if you've got any comments, take them up with us. Yep. What she said. Yeah. And while you're at it, since you're on your phone right now, go and, uh, go and leave us a cheeky review 
on your favorite podcast platform because it really does help as well massively so thank you very much once again and we will see you next time we will indeed bye Thank you.